Hey guys, welcome back to True Crime and Whatnot. How's everyone's summer been? Has school started back for everyone yet? Is it just me or does it seem like summer vacation is much, much shorter than it was when we were kids? We homeschool our oldest, but we keep him on a very similar schedule to the public schools here. So, school for him started last Thursday. I remember going back to school in September, if that tells you how old I am. For today's case, we are going to go all the way west to Oregon and we're going to talk about the first serial killer there. Now I always put a warning at the beginning of my stories. The slightest thing can trigger some people. It's still in there but guys this one is pretty disturbing even for me. So, I decided not to give a lot of the actual details surrounding these crimes. These poor women and their families have been victimized enough by this person. So, with this one, I decided not to really give a whole lot of the information regarding Regarding their deaths. The, this was just a very sick mind. And like I said, it's it's a pretty disturbing one. So with that, let's get started. Warning. The following story depicts details of murder, sexual assault, and necrophilia. Viewer discretion is advised. Jerome Henry Jerry Brudos was born January 31st, 1939 in Webster, South Dakota. He was the youngest of two boys. The only real info on his family that I could find was that his mom was hoping for a girl and had him instead, which then caused her to be very upset and she took it out on him because, you know, he had a say in it at that time. When he was still very young, his family settled in Oregon. And then when he was about five years old, he began to have, let's say, an unhealthy love of women's shoes, specifically high heels. When he was in the first grade, he actually attempted to steal his teacher's heels. This escalated rather quickly to him 
stealing the underwear of female neighbors before he was even a teenager. Once he was a teen, he spent the majority of his time in and out of a psychiatric hospital. It was during this time that he began stalking local women. Then he would knock them down and choke them until they lost consciousness. He would then run away with their shoes. While I was reading this, I kept thinking, wouldn't it have just been easier to ask them where they got the shoes? Don't, don't you think? And then he could have just went and bought them. I mean, I, I have a thing where I just don't like other people's shoes on my feet or, you know, so it's just, it's, it's weird to me. But anyway, I digress. At 17, he abducted and beat a young woman, threatening to stab her if she didn't follow his sexual demands. After he was arrested for this, he then spent time in the psych ward of the Oregon State Hospital, where he stayed for nine months. During the time spent in the psych ward, he was given a full psych eval, which he was then diagnosed with schizophrenia. Doctors also found his sexual fantasies revolved around not only his hatred of his mother, but his hatred for women in general. Despite all of these setbacks, Jerry graduated high school with the rest of his senior class in 1957. In 1961, Jerry married a 17-year-old and they settled in Salem, Oregon, and had two children. When Jerry's young bride wanted to do the housework, she was only allowed to do the housework wearing high heels while he would photograph her. At this point, he started complaining about migraines and blackouts and he would relieve the symptoms by going night prowling and stealing shoes and undergarments. This is also the point in time where he went through a brief transvestite period as an escape mechanism. He kept shoes, underwear, and bodies of his victims in a garage that he only allowed his wife to enter 
after she announced herself through the intercom he had installed. Between January 26, 1968 and April 23, 1969, Jerry would bludgeon and strangle at least four young women between the ages of 18 and 23. His first known victim was 19-year-old Linda Slauson. She was a door-to-door encyclopedia salesperson who Jerry was able to lure to his basement even though his wife and two children were in the house at the time. Once he got her to the basement, he then bludgeoned her to death. And did a whole bunch of other things that I just am not going to talk about. And then he cut her left foot off. Now, I'm telling you this because it's pertinent to the story. But he cut her left foot off with a hacksaw and kept it in the freezer so that he could use this foot to quote unquote model the shoes that he would steal. He disposed of the rest of her body in the Willamette River. In May 1969, a fisherman discovered the bodies of 18-year-old Karen Spinker and 22-year-old Linda Saley in the Long Tom River. The police began to interview the students at the nearby university, asking if they had seen any suspicious men hanging around or anything like that. And one young woman actually led them to Jerry. Jerry then gave them a false address for himself, which then just made them even more suspicious than they already were. The police then found a copper wire near his garage that was cut with the same tool used to cut the cords the bodies had been bound with. At this point, Jerry was arrested, and he gave a full confession. On June 28th, 1969, he pled guilty to three first-degree murder charges. Not one of those charges were regarding Linda Slauson, even though he admitted to her murder. He was sentenced to three consecutive life terms in Oregon State Penitentiary. He was never tried for the murder or mutilation of Linda Slauson because 
He only kept her foot and no pictures of her dead body like he did with the other three victims. To me, him keeping her foot should have been enough to try him for her death. But considering it was the late 1960s, they probably couldn't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was her because they didn't have the DNA to back it up. Because, again, DNA is still really young. We're still figuring it out. But I th- <laughs> I'm really torn on that one because I really feel like him having her foot in his possession should at least be tampering with a corpse. You guys will have to let me know what you think of that one. Jerry lodged several appeals and lost every single one. It was to the point that in 1995, the Oregon Parole Board just flat out told him, Dude, we're never going to release you. Stop appealing. You're not going anywhere. And I have never heard of the parole board doing that to anybody until this case. Psychiatrist Michael H. Stone identified Jerry Brudos as having a psychopathic personality, noting specifically his callousness and lack of remorse. Detective Jim Burns once asked Jerry, Do you feel sorry for the girls who died? To which Jerry responded by wadding up a piece of paper, throwing it on the floor, and then saying, I care as much about those girls as I do that piece of wadded up paper. Jerry Brudos died on March 28, 2006, after being diagnosed with liver cancer. At the time of his death, he was the longest incarcerated inmate in the Oregon Department of Corrections. He had been there for 37 years. Don't feel like we should feel sorry for him because he 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 was he was disgusting it was it was it was a gross case it really was and i just can't even and he had they only talk about the three cases that he actually got tried for more than they do the ones he didn't they don't talk about him 
you know, knocking women down and, and taking their shoes. They don't talk about that later on. They don't talk about the women that got away from him between each murder. They just talk about these three. And I understand why it, it's horrible that he did kill them. We need to also celebrate the ones that were able to get away and hope that they were able to find normalcy the best that they could. And his poor wife to know that she was just as much a victim, especially early in their marriage. I just can't even imagine. I do apologize for not giving the graphic details of this case, or really any cases, but this one in particular was really disturbing for me, and it was more on the weird side as well. Um, if you're interested in looking it up yourself, most of the info that I used was on Wikipedia. Um, if you want more in-depth info on the crimes, um, Wikipedia really didn't go into great detail. I did look it up other than that, but I, I just, I just couldn't bring myself to, to talk about it. Um, I will say that when you first look him up, um, under his name is, they, they always have different things of what you've done and they have him as, um, a serial killer and, um, fetish killer. And then they also have him as a necrophiliac. That in itself should tell you this is a special kind of crazy person that's one thing I've never understood is why anyone would be interested in necrophilia but while I was doing some research I, I found out it's actually pretty common with serial killers but anyway you guys that's it for this episode. So, uh, please make sure you like, share, and subscribe. If you're interested in helping to support the podcast, please check out the Spotify page. Uh, from there, there is a sponsor button, which should also be in the description of the episodes now. This is not a necessity. It is just an, if you would like to, I want to make sure the podcast is available for free across all platforms. So if you guys are finding out that you have to pay a subscription to the podcast itself, please let me know because somebody is making money off the podcast and it's not me. Other than that, stay true and whatnot. 
See you later.